0: Hi, everybody. Joel Junker here with Cameron Brooks, and welcome to another episode of the Cameron Brooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. Uh, my guest uh, in this uh, podcast is Dan Malaro. Uh Dan is a Cameron Brooks' alumnus from 2014, and uh, Dan uh, started his career uh, with Unilever at uh, one of their production facilities in Jefferson City, Missouri, and. Um, Dan and I worked closely together uh, during his transition, but also just this last year, Dan uh, had to navigate some challenges with his career and successfully uh, was promoted to a corporate uh, supply manufacturing planning position with Unilever and he tells the story of how he did that and how it's so important to make good objective decisions uh, in your career and how to leverage your network Uh, To create opportunities for the future. So um, I hope you enjoy this episode. We get into things uh, such as uh, the three tips he recommends on how to progress in your career, the importance of networking as I mentioned, not making emotional decisions, and then does a great job of describing uh, what actually happens in manufacturing because so many people have misperceptions of it and does a great job of dispelling those myths. And of course, if you want to learn more about Cameron Brooks, our transition process, we recommend uh, getting to our website, uh, www.cameron-brooks.com. Visit our uh, resource center, learning library, where you can create a username and password, log in and get access to a great number of resources. And of course, our book, PCS to Corporate America, uh, fourth edition, which you can uh, get on amazon.com. Enjoy. All right, Dan, thank you for uh being on the Cameron Brooks Podcast and sharing your story and tips with our listeners.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Joel.
0: Well Dan, let's start off. I'd like to start every podcast off with basically the same kind of background. Just tell the tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, your what you do did in the military and and your your transition. Um and and what that led to you for your first job that you went to work for at Unilever. And then we'll get into the job that you're doing now,
1: later. Okay, sure. So uh, I started my military career at West Point. Uh, I was a West Point graduate, commissioned as a field artillery officer. Uh, I spent about five and a half, six years in the Army. Uh, after uh, uh, you know deployment to Afghanistan and uh, uh, you know, duty station in Korea, I decided that I wanted to spend more time with my family, uh, spend more time with my wife. So I decided to get out uh you know work through uh Cameron Brooks uh, originally chose Cameron Brooks because of the you know the preparation course and the screening of candidates you know really drew me to the company I I wanted that structured uh preparation to make me more successful in interviews and uh you know ended up taking my first job with Unilever as a maintenance supervisor in their Jefferson City manufacturing facility.
0: Um, And, Dan, tell us what you, you know, let's go back to um, this, the Jefferson facility and why you took that position, why you felt like it was a good role for you. Sure. So, uh, you know, the maintenance supervisor role had two things
1: that I was really excited about that I thought could would be a good transition from the military. Uh, First and foremost, it was a direct leadership role. Uh, I would be in charge of about 50 so I was really excited to, you know, transfer the leadership skills that I had learned in the Army to that role. Um, secondly, it was a technical role. And, you know, as a field artillery officer, uh, I re- you know, I had that technical background, you know, working with the different artillery pieces and, uh, you know, working on uh, call for fires with, uh, you know, different radio equipment. And I, I really thought that that's something that would help me,
0: uh, you know, excel, having that background and being able to apply it to my civilian job. I think manufacturing, like a lot of career fields, has misperceptions. Um, can you dispel some common misperceptions for <laughs> for our listeners of what maybe you hear common manufacturing misperceptions are and, and what uh, what the reality was for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, when I first heard manufacturing,
1: kind of the first thing about it was like, oh, you know, dirty factory, poor work conditions. And, you know, right off the bat, that absolutely was not the case. Uh, The Unilever facility was cutting edge. It was actually uh, one of the uh, lead innovators in bottling technology. So most of the machines that we had there were either the prototypes or the newest models a uh, very clean, you know, uh regulated uh GMP environment. Um, you know FDA audited, so uh very, you know, I, I can't
0: say enough about how uh, excellent the manufacturing facility was. And what's, uh, as as, as, for our listeners for our listeners, explain what GMP is.
1: So GMP is uh good manufacturing practices. It's uh essentially if you want to compare it to the military it's basically a set standard that says hey when you manufacture consumer goods these um you know these practices and procedures need to be followed uh to ensure that you produce uh safe products with quality defect um, So it'd be a lot like uh you know kind of like a a dash 10 or a regulation book for the army
0: Okay um and and uh, what were you guys making at the Unilever plant uh so we made personal care liquids. So I know that's kind of a weird
1: term that you don't use every day. Uh really it's soap, shampoo, uh body wash, conditioner and uh you know the brands we had were Axe, Dove, Tresemme, Nexus, St. Ives, uh Suave. Uh really you know a lot of brands that you wouldn't you know Unilever is a con- you know a conglomerate uh consumer goods company. So a lot of the you know a lot of the times people are familiar with the brands but not the
0: company that owns them. And I think the other thing that misperception of is, is that uh, not, you know, it was clean, but there's also this, I think that there's this perception of it's just like a bunch of people taking ingredients and pouring them in together and they're, boom, there's a finished product. And you're there on the floor observing them and like correcting them. Tell us what the truth is.
1: No. So, I mean, honestly, you would be shocked at the complexity that goes into making even the most common products, Um, like soap or shampoo. So, you know, we had a – the environment requires definitely dynamic troubleshooting. So uh, an example would be, you know, we do petroleum jelly injection for certain shampoos. And if there's a variance of even, you know, two degrees can uh, have huge impacts for the product. So, you know, you don't always necessarily see that, though. So you might get product and you say, hmm, you know, it looks like there's – not enough petroleum jelly, or it looks like the beads aren't forming properly, and you'll work your way back through the entire system of you know complex machinery uh you know the process of which it's made, the process of which it's bottled, trying to troubleshoot for what was that one thing
0: that went wrong to give you this end product and yeah you know, I think another misperception that uh often in manufacturing is uh that. You know, it's just leading the team. They make it very one-dimensional um, when people are talking, well, it just seems I've been doing that in the military. I'm just leading the team. You addressed that one part. Well, oh, wait, there's a lot of problem solving. But I also, when I talk with people, I share with them that manufacturing is really the foundation of profitability for a company. When you're out with your production team, you're, you're thinking about, how can I make things more efficient? How can I improve quality? How can I make more in the same amount of time? or get more yield on the amount of raw materials to make a finished product. And that is constant innovation and in project management, not just the tactical people plus equipment equals the finished product. Can you shed any light on that That, that thought and maybe talk about a project or a process improvement that you did that you're particularly proud of? Uh, sure. So uh, like you said, you know, uh, when I
1: became a production supervisor in the unit lever facility, I was the owner of that line um, it was very similar to company command where it wasn't so much that I was just responsible for you know like you said the day-to-day leadership but I also owned the you know the, stri- the long-term strategic view for it of how we were going to improve and drive out cost in this business um, so one of the big things that used to get us um, you know you'd be surprised but when soap spills on a conveyor belt you know at first it's not a big issue But if you leave it on there, it will eventually harden up and break the conveyor belt. And, you know, one of the tough things about soap is uh, we put what we call surfactants into it. It's chemicals that make the bubbles. So it's actually quite difficult to clean off using liquids because if you apply any water-based liquid to it, uh, it bubbles up and foams up. And, uh, you know, obviously you'll have a giant foam pit where once you had a uh, production line. So uh, one of the projects that I identified uh, to increase the reliability of our machines was I uh, designed, uh, built a prototype and later went into full implementation of uh, building automatic belt cleaning machines that could be used while the lines were running to uh, basically prevent the, you know, take away the need to stop them and clean the belts after spills. Uh, this gave us more uptime and better reliability. So basically, you know, the company supported me in designing this standalone machine. Uh, allowed me to build a prototype, integrate it to the core design of one of the lines. Uh, ended up working very well, and uh, you know we moved on to integrate it to four other production lines.
0: Yeah, congratulations. That's pretty neat. Now, did you engineer that yourself, or did you go sub- get, did you base it on some best practices someplace else? Um, so, definitely a, uh, a little bit of both so
1: i worked you know the first thing i built a team of the best technical experts that i could in the plant um you know we used one of our lead programmers to help integrate the machine to the um the ladder logic of the line so that you wouldn't have to manually operate it it could be run autonomously i worked with one of our lead processing technicians to make sure that the plumbing Uh, for the machine was set up. Uh, Some of it was me trying to innovate on a previous failed design that the plant had tried. Um, And, you know, some of it was, you know, just working as, you know, leading a small project team to try to come up with something new that hadn't been tried before.
0: Um, Now, you're not in manufacturing now. You're at corporate um how, and you made the transition when I think I don't know if that got picked up in the uh, in your introduction when did you make the transition from the army to Unilever Dan
1: uh so i left the army in august of 2014 and i joined
0: Unilever uh early october of the same year okay so it's been about three and a half years and you're now you started in manufacturing you're at the corporate headquarters you had a, you had a maintenance job in between what I'd like to do is learn a little bit about that maintenance job color color in a little bit more what happens in manufacturing facilities and things like that, just to give our listeners some idea of the different types of roles in production but where I want to eventually get to is is that how manufacturing can lay a foundation for a career in a company and it doesn't necessarily mean that um if you that if you don't if you start in manufacturing and stay there for your career that there's opportunities for you to 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 build this foundation and navigate to other roles. But before we get into that, talk about your move from production to maintenance and what you did as a maintenance, uh, I think you were a maintenance team leader, a maintenance manager. Yeah, so uh, as, a maintenance, uh, su- as a maintenance supervisor, and
1: uh, as a maintenance supervisor, I really had a couple key roles. There were uh, two main departments that uh, reported to me. The uh, mechanics, or we called them the packaging reliability technicians. These were a group of generally uh, individuals who've been working for 10 to 30 years in that facility, uh, you know, technical degree, uh, formally trained on how to repair industrial equipment. Um, I also had a group we called them, uh, you know, colloquially the electricians, but really they were more electrical systems technicians. They were, again, you know, technical degree, uh, very versed in formal coding and programming, and they could also troubleshoot the machines if there was a physical problem uh, with the, uh, you know, something electrical, uh, a cable broken, um, uh, you know, blown fuse, or, you know, something much more complex, maybe some you know, a miswritten piece of code that came from the manufacturer in the actual logic of the machine. So as a maintenance supervisor, uh, it's really, you know, you break it down, it's uh, preventative maintenance and then emergency repairs. So on the one hand, I had, I was responsible for the long-term outlook of the plant of increasing the reliability of the machines and leading the preventative maintenance program to ensure that the machines were running as often as possible Uh, from a manufacturing perspective it's much more important that uh, a machine runs when it's supposed to rather than you know breaks down unexpectedly so it it costs less money to even if it's the same amount of time it, it costs less to actually take down the machine do preventative maintenance really make sure that it's you know in good working function than it would to be in the middle of a production run and have the machine unexpectedly fail uh, and then, on the other hand, you know, when machines did unexpectedly fail, I was in charge of managing the repair process and really, you know, leading the project to try to get them back up and running. And you know, sometimes, you know, some failures are very quick, take an hour. Other times, you have you know very complex problems that you're uh, bringing in uh, OEMs, uh, original equipment manufacturer technicians in. And
0: coordinating you know massive resources to get this machine fixed um and what how how does it parallel the uh the preventative maintenance program there p- parallel with the preventative maintenance programs you did in the in the army so I think the army you know we called it Motor pool Monday, but you know the preventative
1: maintenance program in the Army was definitely a good introduction to what we were doing in the factory um The factory preventative maintenance, though, there were some levels where it was very similar. Like, hey, you know, keep your, you know, keep your engine oiled, uh, you know, make sure that all the motors are running to their set life cycle. You know, you'd have your weekly, your quarterly, and your annual, um, we call them PMs, but preventative maintenance that you would do on the machines, just like the Army had. But then, you know, you would get into a lot more, uh, more depth with the machines than you typically would in the military, unless you were, you know, your MOS was specifically a mechanic. So, you know, we would actually be, you know, completely disassembling machines, changing out major components, uh, trying to create predictive models to track when the next component of that machine would fail and what it would be so we could get ahead of it. Uh, So, like I said, the Army was kind of like a good introduction. It laid a great uh, foundation. And then, you know, in the plant, I, I got to expand on that.
0: Now share with the listeners what you do at the um and more you're at at the corporate headquarters now is that right or is it the supply headquarters that you're at now?
1: Uh no, so right now I'm at the corporate headquarters for North America.
0: Great. So explain what you what you do now for Unilever at the corporate headquarters. So,
1: um, you know, right now I'm an associate planning manager for the key category at the corporate headquarters. Um, basically, my job is I uh, look at the demand signal that comes, um, you know, from the customers for lifting keys, and I come up with the run strategy and plan for our Suffolk manufacturing facility. Basically, figuring out, hey, you know, what what products are we going to make and what quantities, uh, in what order to fulfill these customer orders. And, you know, how do I basically work to coordinate not only the manufacturing effort of that plant, but, you know, bringing in the raw materials from procurement, uh, working with innovation to template their new products, um, and working with brand to really make sure that, you know, the the Lipton brand is uh, succeeding and making sure that the plant supports the brand vision.
0: Um, And uh, so in this role what um how did being in, in manufacturing working at a plant help you prepare for this position or give you that perspective on it and the reason why I asked the question is that the role that you're in is one that um, that uh we we place people in similar to that obviously not at the same level but in the supply chain logistics types of positions and i think sometimes people um, will go into the role and they'll do great and uh, make contributions, have a great career in this. But I do think sometimes um, that they discount uh, starting in an operations or manufacturing role um, and want to get to the corporate headquarters right away, want to get to that office right away or get or skip over the operations right away. How do you, Even though it wasn't necessary for you to get in that role, it's not a normal track necessarily like a pre-programmed track that you were on. How did being in the manufacturing role, the maintenance role, prepare you for this position? And how is it helping you be, um, you know, more aware and even a better contributor in this position?
1: So, I mean, you know, you hit the nail on the head, Joel. And I, I would say, you know, the advice that I would have for, you know, JMOs who are looking to transition out of the Army, the best thing you can do for your career In a company like Unilever is to get that factory experience because you know the manufacturing facilities are really where the rubber meets the road for the business if the plant isn't successful everything else you know kind of falls by the wayside and having that great understanding of what makes the plant function and how it runs will make you more uh, successful in you know the follow on roles at corporate headquarters where you're supporting that plant Uh, you know, I think a great uh, equivalent in the Army would be, it's like when you do your line time as a platoon leader or a company commander compared to when you're on the brigade staff or division staff. If you don't understand what it's like to be a platoon leader and, you know, lead a maneuver unit in the field, then you won't be able to be an effective staff officer supporting that unit. So I think it's, you know, I would recommend, you know, to anybody who's looking to make the transition, seriously consider uh, starting out in a manufacturing facility. Uh, You know, when I went through the interview process for this role, uh, you know, one of the common themes across multiple, you know, departments at Englewood Cliffs, uh, procurement, planning, um, you know, marketing, uh, customer service, was having manufacturing
0: experience. So, So, yeah, keep going sorry, go ahead. No, 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 sorry. So,
1: you know, at the end of the day, in my role right now, you know, I'm in charge of creating the strategy for the Suffolk plant, you know, understanding, you know, basically lining up their run so they can successfully meet company or customer demand. If I, you know, coming from the manufacturing facility, I understand what it takes to change a line over, Uh, you know, the amount of downtime that will be incurred switching from one product to another and understanding that, Hey, you know, if I can line up a certain number of runs in the right order, I'll generate additional volume for the entire business. So I think that's, you know, that's kind of a more specific example of how that time in the plant in Jefferson city, which isn't even tea, it's, you know, personal
0: care really helped me uh, excel in the role I'm in now. And I think, you know, so now I want to talk a little bit how you got there. Um, and I will give a little bit of background um you, there was uh, some changes uh uh that you were you know exploring at Unilever in your your plant and just trying to get some advice from uh to to make some good career planning decisions uh because of some of these changes that you were experiencing um and this is a plug for Cameron Brooks that uh <laughs> you know you were already you were you were Two and a half years are already in your career, and yeah, about uh, two and a half years. Yeah, yeah, reached out to me because um, that's our that's our uh, always our commitment to people. We um, you know we're here for you to, to help you navigate your career. You reached out to me and hey, you know, I, I, this is what's going on, and this is what's happening right now. And I I, I I've got some things I just kind of need to figure out and get some help and planning. I don't have the answers for you on how to do it. Um, and, and so what I recommended to Dan was, uh, network within his company and specifically network with the, the Cameron Brooks alumni that were in his company. Um, and occasion, most, I, I should say, I shouldn't say occasionally, most often, I don't think it's too strong of a word, but when, uh, maybe it is often, often when I get a phone call from somebody in a situation like what Dan was going through or trying this change he was trying to navigate, it's people are very reactionary. This happened, I'm going to I'm going to go do this. And I think that's actually pretty natural for any anybody in a um in a career. Uh the challenge though, when you're special in your first three to five years, when you're trying to make that successful transition, if you react, you can make a, an emotional decision, make a poor decision. Quit, leave, go to a different company, go to a different organization, you're starting all over again. Instead of what Dan did is he engaged his engaged a network, it's his network, because they're unilever you know, and they're Cameron's alumni, just pointed him in that direction. And so, Dan, tell us about your side of that part of the story, um, and then how you engaged the network and how it led to this uh this uh planning position you have now at the corporate headquarters.
1: Sure. Um, So, I think it was last April, um, you know, uh, there was an announcement at the plant um, that we were going to restructure the leadership model for the plant. Uh, Essentially, we were going to have uh, more leaders that would uh, work on a, you know, single line level where I had been managing multiple lines across multiple shifts. Uh, The new model was to put one leader per line per shift. And, you know, it made a lot of sense for the business. So, you know, I, I found myself kind of in a position where I had really two choices where, or I guess three, I, you know, obviously I was pretty upset. It, there was strong temptation to kind of make that brash, like, oh, well, you're getting rid of my job. Then I'm out of here decision. But, you know, I had two kind of options besides that on the table. One was to go back to my maintenance role uh, and just continue to work there. And the other was to try to explore and see if there were any options uh, available to me, uh, other than that, to grow my career. Um, you know, so, you know, one of the first things I did, you know, I, I really just tried to reach out to, uh, you know, to my network and kind of, you know, just gather information, get get people's take on it. Say like, hey, this is what's going on. You know, the, you know, I have plenty of notice, you know, in about six months, my role is being phased out. You know, w- you know what are some good options for me? What do you think I should do? So I, I called Joel and, um, you know, he recommended that I reach out to some of the Cameron Brooks alumni in Unilever. So he hooked me up with, um, uh, you know, a couple of contacts and I do have to take this time to uh, you know, take a little shot at Joel. He said, Hey, you know, reach out to Rob. He's a cool guy. He'll help you out. Well, I didn't know Rob was a director. So I, I emailed cool guy Rob <laughs> not realizing uh, <laughs> he, he was one of the head honchos for my company. But, uh, you know, I actually had a great conversation with him, and, you know, Rob and another uh, person that I was put in touch with through the Cameron Brooks Network, KIP, both really provided me some uh, good mentorship. You know, I I worked with Rob. He kind of talked to me about, like, hey, what are you looking for in a role? Um, You know, what do you see as your career path, Uh, and really helped me uh, focus myself on what that next step should be and really put me on the path to start aggressively pursuing a planning role in those six months of transition time that i had uh, rob also did you know not only you know i guess i kind of started at the top but rob linked me in with uh, you know a veterans uh group we call it the vbrg at unilever and uh you know some other cameron brooks alumni who were working in that planning department that i could go talk to them learn about the role Uh, really start networking with them. So that even if I didn't end up working, you know, hand in hand with them or them hiring me, one, you know, I was getting my name out there. uh, You know, I was really, uh, you know, establishing these good contacts that I still call on to this day. And, you know, two, I was learning more about the role. Uh, You know, at the time, you know, you think you want to do something, but until, you know, until you're actually doing it, you don't know exactly what it's like. So getting that first hand insight from
0: people who were in the roles that I wanted to be in, uh, you know, was
1: absolutely invaluable.
0: So I just want to clarify one thing um that Dan was talking about. When he talked about the reorganization, he his role that he was in was being eliminated and he was being uh gonna be uh, reassigned to another position. He had a couple of options of other positions, but he didn't know that they were really good fits for him. Um and so he was calling me to figure out what he should do and that's when I put him into the network uh because it it did come across as if uh your role was eliminated and you had 6 months to find another job within the company but that wasn't that wasn't the case so go ahead Dan continue to pick it up from there and explain your uh explain the um you know the networking and the value it was for you
1: uh sure, so yeah, like joel said, you know I, I wasn't kicked to the curb, you know the company was very uh worked with me a lot on this, and you know even you know my manager at the plant and the director at the plant were you know really key in helping me work to network in the planning department and you know really helped me facilitate that career move uh so you know once uh you know once Rob had linked me in kind of with uh with the Cameron Brooks alumni network in Unilever, uh, you know, the next thing I did was I set up one-on-one meetings with both planning managers who would be, uh, you know, potential people who would hire me, and then actual planners um, that would be in the role that I, you know, had the role that I wanted to be in. So, you know, each one e- each one of those meetings was, you know, really key for me because uh, like I said, not only did I get to learn more about the role or, you know, I got to ask those managers questions that would set me up for success later. Like, Hey, you know, what do you think makes a planner successful? Uh, you know, what do you wish you had done in your first three months, six months in the role? What are some common pitfalls that you see planners fall into? You know, what do you think distinguishes a great planner from just, you know, Hey, somebody who gets the job done? Um, but it also helped me build that personal network so that, you know, when it came time for me to actually start interviewing for planning roles, it wasn't just, oh, you know, hey, I got this resume. Guy looks okay. You know, good background, military. You know, I actually had advocates for me in that department. who said, oh, yeah, you got Dan's resume. I know Dan. So, it, you know, it, when you start networking like that, it's really twofold. One, you're you're getting your name out there. You know, you're making these personal connections and relationships that are going to help you later on down the line. And two, you're improving yourself. You know, at the end of the day, I like to think of it that even if I didn't get a planning role and, you know, you could, you know some might be tempted to say, oh, well, then, hey, all that effort was for nothing. But I like to think of it as, hey, I learned about a new role in corporate America. I, you know, I made myself a more dynamic candidate for future roles. You know, I've
0: expanded my knowledge base just by networking, meeting, and learning from these people. I hear that all the time about, hey, you might not be qualified for this position, but go interview for it because you're going to get your name out there. People know who you are. This is within your company for promotional interviews. Network to get the interview. And because you might not get it this time, but you keep doing that. You get your name out there. People get to know you. You do well in the interview. They may not give you the job, but another job might come up at some point. You do another interview and they already know you. And, You know, that's the, and that's why I wanted to do this podcast with you, Dan, because of this story, Um, predominantly to share people with the importance of, you know, people think about networking outside of their company and how important that is. Networking within your company is incredibly important. And uh, to keep your name there and and, uh, what you're doing to make good decisions and and the value, the second thing to plug for Cameron Brooks, the networking that the Cameron Brooks alumni the veterans can help you with as well how important that is. And the last thing reason I wanted to share that story is just you've just made so many good decisions. You know, people would call, hey, this position has been eliminated. Give me the other two roles. I'm not sure they're right. Hey, I think I'm going to get my resume out there. Wait, hey, wait, wait. We didn't have to do this. You were already thinking the, same, the right things. Dan, you've only been there two and a half years. Hang on just a second. You want to make that successful transition you want to get with Unilever and stay with Unilever for a few more years at a minimum and get that foundation. And instead of being reactive, you were proactive, leveraged your network, got into a corporate job. And, uh, I guess the only thing that I failed you on is to let you know, I guess that Rob was a director. Um, (laughs) He is, he is is just such a great guy that, that, uh, I didn't even like heads up this, uh, he's, uh, he's way up there. So, but I'm so glad it worked out and really appreciate you sharing that story. Anything else to pass on to our listeners any other advice from your career, your three years in business so far? Sure. So, uh, you know, one of the things that
1: really tripped me up when I first transitioned uh, was, you know, looking at long-term career path, you know, in the army, it was very laid out for you. Hey, you know, one and a half years, first lieutenant, you know, four years, captain, you know, moving on from there. It's a little more nebulous in the, you know, in the civilian sector. But I think the best advice I got in role was if you want to progress your career, you got to do three things. One, you have to have a clear goal in mind and you have to communicate that goal Uh, You know, it has to be very well known to everyone who's important to it. Your manager should know your career path and what you want to do. Your director should know your career path and what you want to do. And if you don't know that yet, reach out to your network and explore and really try to, you know, do some soul searching and figure that out for yourself. Uh, Number two is once you have that goal in mind and you know you know what you want to do you've you know you've communicated that very well to all the key players you know reach out there to that network you know go learn like i said kind of like i did go reach out to that you know for me it was the planning community Uh, for you it could be whatever that you know department is really you know build your network and really get to know the key players in there and even if it's just hey you know like Sit down, let me buy you a lunch, let me buy you a coffee, and, you know, let me kick your brain about your job, or just tell me what your normal week-to-week is, you know, building that network will really set you up for success in the long run. And then the third thing is, you know, you have to excel in the job that you're in if you want to move forward. You know, if you don't, you know, every day, you know, wake up, go to work, and think about, hey, how am I going to be the best, you know, whatever your role is possible, and knock it out of the park? Because if you're not successful in the role you're in, you know, having a great network and, you know, really doing your homework on your career path isn't going to help you out if no one, you know, if you're not, you know, no one wants to hire somebody who's, you know, not doing well in the role that
0: they're in. That's great. That's great. Well, that's awesome. Great advice, uh, Dan. You've been uh, generous with your time on a Friday afternoon. And uh, thank you for, um, for uh, sharing your story. And I know that people are going to listen to this and and uh, gives them some ideas on how to manage their career once they get into corporate America. Have a great weekend, and uh, I hope to talk to you soon again. Thanks, Joel. Hey, you know, thanks for having me on, and you know, look forward,
1: to, or looking forward to continued yeah, continuing to work with you.